0: Very cool. Hey, um, this is our second week in the, the Tune In series. Who was here last week? Awesome. Hey, if you haven't heard the messages from last week, jump on uh, the old internet and go to our SoundCloud page and the sermons are up there. I know the sermons are up there because I put them there. Uh, so you can always guarantee that if they're not up there, um, it's my fault. So they'll, they'll be up there. They'll be up there. But go and have a listen because uh, last week Jordan started us off on this series, right? And, and we're really looking at at tuning in and we're doing the Daniel fast and and we're wanting to hear what God is saying because who knows, God's always talking, right? God's always got something to say to us. It's just so often we're listening to other things. Yeah, so often you're the 12-year-old me and you're watching TV and your mom asks you to do the dishes and you just honestly did not hear her because Dragon Ball Z was on and, and who cares what else is happening. This is all my attention. Goku has been charging the spirit bomb for five episodes. He's gonna throw it soon, right? But so often in life, that's us. Right? God's trying to talk to us. God's got a, a message for us, and we're listening to something else. So as we're focusing on, the, on this idea of tuning in, we also need to know what is it that we need to tune out. What's going on in our lives that's trying to demand our attention that we need to say, no, I'm not listening to that anymore. I'm not focusing on that anymore. I want to hear what God is saying. Right? Last Sunday, Jordan talked about that there are influences around us stopping us, right? trying to stop us from tuning in. He talked about the fact that you can't cast out the flesh, right? That, that we are flesh and bone. And, and sometimes it just takes discipline to push through. But in the same time, you can't discipline a demon, right? We are surrounded by things beyond our, our knowing, beyond our understanding. And sometimes you just need to go to prayer. Sometimes you just need to push into God and say, God, I can't discipline myself out of this. I need you to help me in this place. And so what I want to talk to you this morning about It's a spirit of pride. Who's excited that I came to church to hear about spirit of pride, right? Valentine's Day, it's going to be an easy sermon. Uh, We got you. Spirit of pride, right? And and, and because here's the thing. It's important to realize that a lot of what we talked about last week and a lot of what we will be talking about in the coming weeks, it isn't going to land with us unless we understand pride, right? A a lot of what we'll be talking about, we're not going to hear what we need to And we won't make the changes that we need to or pray the prayers that we need to pray unless we first deal with pride. See, you you might be here today and you're thinking, John, this is awesome. I'm sure you're thinking that. Thinking, John, this is fantastic. I'm sure there are people all around me that, that really struggle with pride. I'm sure there are people. In fact, I know I'm sitting next to someone right now full of pride, horrible pride person. This is, I'm just going to put my feet up, maybe play a little bit of Candy Crush on my phone, look like I'm taking notes, right? We'll be done, and I'll go home. Can you just, just do me a favor, and, and let's suspend disbelief just for the next 30 minutes that we have an issue with pride, right? Even if, even if you're convinced, even if you're sure you don't, just for 30 minutes, suspend disbelief and think, maybe I do. Maybe there's some place in my life that I'm a, I'm a little bit proud that, that I need to deal with. Is that All right. Cool. Hey, turn with me to Esther chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 to 6, and it's going up on the screen now. I'm so good at that. Uh, It goes like this. It's actually Jack at the back. Uh, It goes like this. Haman's plot against the Jews. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamidavad, the Agite, over all the other nobles. That's how you say it. Making him the most powerful official in the empire all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Now jump with me down to chapter 6, and it says this. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. Going chapter 6, verse 1. The king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigathan and Teresh, two of the eunuchs guarding the gate of the king's private quarters. They applauded to assassinate King Xerxes. What recognition of reward did we give Mordecai for this, the king asked. The attendant replied, nothing has been done for him. Who was that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared, which is a little bit right? So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one, the king's most noble officials. And let him see the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horses and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. Why don't you bow your heads with me and pray? God, I thank you that we get to be here this morning that we get to listen into to what you're saying. God, thank you that you are always talking. God, that you've got a word for us today. You've got a message for each and every one of us, no matter where we are or what we're going through. God, I pray that this morning as I'm speaking, it wouldn't be my words, but you would use this moment. God, I pray that we would look pride straight in the eye, God, that we would not be afraid of it, that we would not shy away from it, that we would not be intimidated by words like spirit and demon, but that today we would say we want to hear what you're saying. We want to cut out the noise and listen to your voice. Thank you that as we're here, as we turn our hearts to you, God, we won't leave the same as when we came in. In your name, amen. So we probably all know the story of Esther. Right, you've probably at some stage or another heard the story of Esther, the Jewish woman who becomes the queen of Persia and saves her people. Right, it's a great story. It's one of those books that's just small enough that you can read it without getting too confused. So I read it a lot, right? But it's a great book, and Esther is the protagonist, right? She's the hero of this story. But today I want to look at the antagonist, the villain. I want to look at this guy, Haman. See, Haman is, is one of the most vivid examples of pride in the Bible. And, and from this story, we can see three things and three things I wanna look at today. First of all, the character of pride, right? The character of a spirit of pride, what, what it is. Secondly, I wanna look at the deadliness of pride. What does it do? And third, I wanna look for the, the cure for pride. How do we get rid of the spirit? How do we both cast it out? And also how do we discipline ourselves to stop being such proud people? How do we stop pumping up that proud muscle? So what can we learn from Haman here, right? First of all, we can see the character of pride. If we, if we look again at, at Esther chapter three, verses one to two, it says that, that Haman was promoted over all the other nobles, right? Haman is, is pretty much the most powerful em, uh, person in the empire other than the emperor, other than the king. He's like the, the prime minister of Persia. And all of the king's officials would bow down to show Haman respect, But it's important to note here that it says they bowed down because the king has commanded them to. right? And to understand this, we need to realize Haman is given this high position. He is is highly respected. This means that, that when he walks past someone in this culture, it would be innate. It would be an automatic response to bow to them. In this culture, you bowed to people that were older than you. You bowed to people that you thought might be of higher status than you, right? You were always bowing just to make sure you didn't offend anyone. And here we are, this man is known to be of the highest stature, right? He's known to be the the most powerful man other than the king. And yet, for some reason, the king has to command people to bow to him, right? From this, we can probably infer that if the king is commanding them to, maybe they didn't want to. Right, maybe Haman has been especially obnoxious. Right, maybe, maybe people really didn't like the guy. Maybe the only thing that could over, overcome such an entrenched social norms was a deep-seated disdain for Haman. So here we are, and people are bowing to Haman, but they're probably not wanting to. They're, they're, they're bowing their knee, but they're not bowing their heart. And, and Haman is obviously getting his jollies, right? Haman's loving it. It's like, I'm the man. Yeah, do another bow. I'm the man. Yeah, it's all right. Right, but, but at the same time, we have Mordecai. Right, Mordecai, who's the, the cousin of Esther, and he isn't bowing because he refuses to worship anyone other than God. Right, he's not being disrespectful. He's just saying, I respect God more than anyone else, and my God tells me not to bow to anyone else. Right, and, and, and so Haman is, is there, and this infuriates him. Right, and maybe it infuriates him because it reminds him that it's not just Mordecai who isn't bowing. Maybe it reminds him that, that in their hearts, no one is bowing, that really no one respects him. He has all this power, but, but no one really wants him to have it. He's one of those, and in, fact, in chapter five, he calls together the, all of his friends and, and his wife and, and Haman boasts to them about everything he's got going on. He talks about his, his wealth and his many sons and all the way the king has honored him and, and how he has elevated him above all the other nobles and, and officials. But he concludes saying this, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. See, Haman is furious, but what does this teach us the, about the character of pride? Right. What, what can we learn from this? If we are here today and we're wanting to address the spirit of pride, how does this help us? See, the Bible is showing us that, that pride is the absorption of self by self. Haman can't just get enough of Haman. See, C.S. Lewis, who we'll be hearing a lot from today, says in, uh, in, in one of his books, perhaps the best definition of pride, he says, pride is ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. See, this is what pride does. It makes you concentrate everything around you, right? So you don't get into relationships. You don't do jobs. You don't do anything unless it makes you feel good about yourself. And because of this, nothing is about the thing that you're doing and everything is about you, even if it doesn't look like it even if it's a selfless act, even if it looks like you're being charitable or generous or helping someone else, really it all comes down to how do you perceive you? Right, see, and this is C.S. Lewis again, this is in uh, the chapter on pride in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, the pride is gone. See, pride makes the thing never actually the thing. It becomes all about us. Everything becomes a means to an end. It's never about the thing itself, but everything we do must become about getting more respect or, or more approval. See, this is the reason that Haman gets no satisfaction from his accomplishments. This is the reason that, that he has no happiness or joy from the things that he's found and done in life. He only wants the one thing that's not happening because he, he really just wants respect and approval because pride is ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. It turns everything into a calculation. How will I look? What, what, what about me? Because of this, there are actually two forms of pride. Right, the, the first form of pride, the pride that we all know is, is superiority. Right, we recognize this, we see it all the time. We see Donald Trump on the TV, doing his big speeches about things and we're like, he's proud. He's a proud man. Donald Trump, proud, right? We see someone standing up and in New Zealand, we're like, you can't be proud. Tall poppy, you fall down. Right, we know superiority. I and mean, we despise it in New Zealand. Right, and, and that's what we recognize and, 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 and if we're thinking about pride, that's probably what comes to mind. But at the same time, there's, there's another form of pride. The pride of inferiority. We are always down on yourself. Right, You don't like how you look or, or how you're doing or you're, you're really self-conscious. But the thing with inferiority is it's just as self-absorbed. When we're, when we're under inferiority, we're still doing all of the comparison. It's still all about us. We're just coming out a whole lot worse. We don't feel good about ourselves. We're not puffing ourselves up. We're just deflated. Think of it this way. Pride is a balloon, right? Superiority is inflating the balloon. You're puffed up and you're ready to be popped. And inferiority is when the balloon is being deflated. Both are dangerous. See, we don't think of people with inferiority complexes as proud, right? But by biblical definition, when we have an inferiority complex, we are being just as proud as someone who is all puffed up. Because a superior person and an inferior person have a whole lot more in common with each other than they do with a humble person. See, humility... Humility is about not thinking less of yourself, right? Not being inferior. It's thinking of yourself less. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. And then he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. He's essentially saying, I don't care what you think about me. But further than that, I don't care what I think about me. My opinion of myself does not matter, and neither does yours. C.S. says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, they would not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, they are nobody. But instead, it would be someone who you would think they seemed really cheerful. They, they seemed intelligent, who took a real interest in everything you said to them. And if you did dislike them, chances are it was because you felt a little envious of someone who seems to enjoy life so easily. Someone who seemed that, that they will not be thinking about humility. They will not be thinking about themselves at all. So what is the, the character of pride? Pride is this ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. It's an obsession with us. And we do it all the time. Right? But, but so if this is the character of pride, why does it matter? Right? So, so what? If, if, if it's just all it is, then we can just continue to be proud and it doesn't doesn't really hurt us until we understand the, the deadliness of pride. See, in, in Esther chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, it says that when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down and show him respect, he was filled with rage. He learned that Mordecai was a Jew, and so rather than, than just wanting to kill Mordecai, he said, I'm going to kill his entire people. Right? See, this is what pride does. It, it is deadly. Haman wasn't satisfied just to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill all of the Jewish people. So he tricks the king into signing a law that says on one day, it's legal to kill Jewish people. You can kill them and take their property. See, pride is deadly, all pride, and for a number of reasons. One of the reasons that, that pride is deadly is pride is a barrier to growth. Right? If, if we're always self-justifying, then we'll never learn because we never made mistakes, Right, We're always right because we have to be right because we're proud or we're always wrong. So why bother learning because I can't do anything right? Why bother trying because I'll never make it? Why bother stepping out because I'll just fall down? Either way, we're, we're restricted by pride. We never grow. When I was 14, I learned to tie my shoelaces. Some of you might be thinking, that seems quite old to learn to tie your shoelaces, Jonathan. You'd be right. Right, but, but when it came, and it's ironic that I'm wearing shoes without laces today. I can tie my shoelaces now, right? I'll show you later. But, but it wasn't because I was dumb. Please just suspend, just give me the benefit of the doubt, right? It wasn't because I was dumb. But I, I couldn't tie my shoelaces because I refused to let anyone teach me. Right? People would come and they'd try and show me the bunny, and the bunny goes around the thing, and he goes through the hole in the loop in the tree trunk. And I'm like, these aren't tree trunks or bunnies. or any, They're just shoelaces. So do you know what I did? I rocked Velcro. No, I rocked Velcro. Like, I looked good in Velcro. Like you guys, like no, you didn't know. I looked cool. I rocked Velcro. Around about fourteen, it started to get a little bit awkward that I was wearing Velcro. I started doing that thing where you tie your shoelaces and just pull the shoe on. You know, yeah, but it didn't really work. Right, but my footwear options were limited. Right, imagine if I still couldn't tie my shoes. I'd be at shoes, and I'd be at shoes. I'd be at work, in my suit, and, and my Velcro shoes. Right, I'd be rocking up, you know, oh yeah, no, just in my Velcro shoes. Hey guys, just a minute, just they'd always be getting fluff in them. Right, but but here's the thing. Some of us are here today in Velcro shoes and we're pretending it's normal. It's not. There are places that we're refusing to grow because we're refusing to learn, because we won't lay down our pride. Superior people deny that any other shoes exist. It's just Velcro. And inferior people say, I'll never learn, so I'll never try. Either way, we're restricted. Humble people can learn, and they learn fast. Another reason that that pride is deadly is bitterness. We're talking about bitterness tonight, but, but bitterness essentially comes from pride. Bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. But think on this, right? You can't stay angry at someone You can't resent someone unless you feel superior to them. Because there is no bitterness without pride because you're essentially saying, I would never behave like that. I would never have done that. I'm better than you and I'm looking down on you and I'm not forgiving you for it. I'm harboring this offense because I'm superior. Right, what about fear? Some people are paralyzed by worry and anxiety. Where does this come from? Maybe it comes from the fact that you know exactly how things have to go. And you're freaking out about it. How can you know? You just know. Do we realize the arrogance that takes? No, no, I know how things have to go. No, if my life doesn't go exactly like this, it's all over. And I'm going to stay up all night worrying about it. Do we realize that we're actually being proud in that moment? Not the type of pride that feels good. Not the puffed up superior, oh, I'm amazing, look at me type of pride. But the pride that says I need to be in control. I have to have this all going on because if I don't, it's going to fall apart. If I'm not managing every facet of my life, it's all over. See, pride creeps in everywhere. You can't be horribly worried without pride. You can't be bitter without being proud. You can't be greedy without being proud. You can't have lust without being pride. Pride is is the root of almost all evil in the world. Racism, poverty, injustice, violence, abuse. Pride is at the root of so many traps we find ourselves in. And if by chance it's not at the root of the trap, it's the reason that we can't get out of it. See, pride either traps us or keeps us trapped. And the worst thing about pride What makes pride so deadly is that pride is the one sin that hides itself. Pride is the one sin that hides itself. Pride, by definition, hides itself. The more proud you are, the less proud you think you are. Be it inferiority or superiority, no other sin is like this. You know, when when you're committing adultery, there isn't a moment where you're like, oh, you're not my wife. Right, when you're stealing, there's not a moment where you're like, oh, you mean I don't earn $300,000 from my employer and I wasn't meant to use company funds to buy a yacht. I did not realize. All other sins are intentional. All other sins we at least know, but pride hides. Pride is often described in the Old Testament as yeast. Right? Yeast is a fungi and it can, it can pop up anywhere unannounced. Have you ever left food in the fridge and, and you come back to it maybe a few months later I'm sure you've never done that, but I do it all the time. To find that it's fluffy. You're like, how did that get on there? Because when I put this piece of fruit in my fridge at the back of my refrigerator, behind the tomato sauce, I didn't spread fluff on it. I didn't coat it in mold. Right? I, I didn't kind of you know, rub some mold powder in and say, now I leave you for a couple of months and you'll have a beautiful crop. Right? But, but here we are, mold just seems to pop up. See, mold is a fungi, and and it spreads by tiny microscopic spores that land on your food, and given time, they'll grow. Some of you are going to have trouble eating lunch. I'm sorry. Right, but pride is just like this. Pride, it just pops up. It won't go away on its own. You won't have no pride. To think you can means that you're probably already infested. Right, but how do we deal with the fact that we've got these spores on us? That given enough time, given the moment, everything tends towards falling apart that if we don't watch ourselves, that we're not mindful of our heart, we're not mindful of the way that we think, how we approach life, we'll become proud people. Not convinced? How about this? Haven't you, safe space, haven't you up till about now in the sermon been thinking of a few other people? Right? haven't you been thinking, man, Bob could really use this? Bob could really do to hear this. I'll give him the link to the SoundCloud. Right? Do we realize that it takes a certain amount of pride to reach here in the sermon, mainly thinking of other people? For me, the most offensive thing about pride, though, is that it hides inside religion. Any other sin can, can pretty much be killed off with religion. Lust can be killed off with religion. Greed can pretty much be killed off with religion. But pride just gets worse. There are no people as proud as the Pharisees. Religion often creates self-righteousness or crushing guilt, and both are rooted in pride. Right? So if the character of pride is this unflinching, unsmiling obsession with ourselves, and if pride is deadly in in such a number of ways, more than we have time to mention today, what can we do about it? What is the cure for pride? In Esther chapter 6, the most amazing thing happens. Right, The plan is in place to kill Mordecai and all the Jews, and here the king is, and he can't sleep. So he has the history of his reign read to him, as you do. That's what I do when I can't sleep. I'm like, bring in my history book. Tell me the story of Jono. Right, and, and as he's hearing this story, he realizes that Mordecai once saved his life, but has never been rewarded for it. So he calls in Haman, and he says, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? And Haman thinks he must mean me. Who else could he mean? I'm amazing, I'm Haman, I'm the man, that's Haman, it's me. And so he says to him, "Take the." he gives him the most amazing proposal to robe the man in the king's royal robes, to let the man ride the king's royal horse and to be paraded around the city by the king's most noble officials. To do all of these things is, is for the king to effectively say this person is robed with my righteousness, my glory, my honor. He's effectively saying, I love them. And Haman is excited by this because he's thinking, if, if those people, the people that don't respect me, if they saw the king, this king who they respect and they love, if they saw him loving me, then I am loved by the king, then they will know, and I will know what I'm worth. Because that's what we want, isn't it? Deep down, the whole root of pride is that we want someone we think the world of thinking the world of us. And in this glorious moment in Esther chapter six, the king responds to Haman, excellent. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew. Leave out nothing you have suggested. See this poetic reversal, Mordecai who is about to be killed is put in the place of highest honor. Just as I get the band up. You know, here's the thing about this though. It's not that, that Haman asked for the wrong thing. We all have this desire to know and to be known, to be loved, to have someone we think the world of thinking the world of us. Haman didn't ask for the wrong thing. Haman asked the wrong king. See, that's what's wrong with us. We all have a problem with pride because we are all asking the wrong king. There is a king who has given us his robe, who has placed us in a high place, and who loves us. See, that the cure for pride is four steps. The first step is to recognize that we need help. Recognize that we are, by our very nature, proud people. We are all proud, and we are all going to the wrong king, and it won't stop until we realize we are. Maybe we'll be going to the right king for one day of a week, but somewhere in our lives, something's going on where we're going to the wrong place. The second step is to repent to God and others. We need to make a deliberate decision to turn from where we are and to stop going to the wrong king. No, I'm not going to find my meaning in my job. No, I'm not going to find my meaning in popularity. No, I'm not going to find my meaning in my ability to accumulate wealth or my ability to be smart or my ability to be pretty, whatever it is. I'm not going to find it there. The next thing, third step is renounce the lies in your life. Where have we been telling ourselves lies? Where has pride been hiding? What sin has crept in as a result? And the fourth step, the final step, is receive the love of God. See, everywhere else in life, the performance inspires the verdict, right? In life, you earn it, you're good enough or you're not. The gospel is the opposite. Jesus died for you, right? And the fact that he had to die for you, the fact that we were so far gone, the fact that he needed to die to make it right humbles us. Man, how low were we? How far from God's grace were we? How far away from ever being able to earn it were we? But we can't stay there. Because when we realize that not only did he have to die for us, but he was glad to, it affirms us. To know that he had to die for you humbles you, but to know that he wanted to, that he was glad to, it affirms you. In Christianity, the verdict inspires the performance. You have been robed. You have been lifted up. You have been honored. You are loved. And because of this, like Paul, we can say, I don't care what you think, but perhaps more importantly, I don't care what I think. Because I know what God thinks. I know that God says that I am called and affirmed. I know that God says that I am redeemed, that I am set free. I know that God says that I am His, that I am loved beyond measure or reason. When we go to the right King, we no longer think of ourselves. We think of Him. See, the band's going to lead us in a new song. And the song, it's called Everything and Nothing Less. And and the the meaning of it is, is super simple. We give God everything we have be it the good, the bad, and the ugly. We give Him the things we're we're, we're happy with, and we give Him the things that we keep in the shadows. We take it all to God. And the the band's going to lead us in the song, and as they do, I want you to stand, and I want you to sing along, but but make sure you're listening to these lyrics. It's short, and they're going to repeat it, so listen to it the first time, and and make sure you understand what it is you're going to say. And then let this song become your prayer. Start by giving everything you have to Jesus. Church, can you stand to your feet with me? And let's run to Him this morning as we sing this song.